Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. Give me 90 minutes, I'm going to give you the world, and we'll look at the current events unfolding in our world today, current events that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I have temporary studios here in a resort on the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. We're here for the Worldview Weekend Conference. We have 10 other speakers that will be joining with us. It's going to be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we're looking forward to the privilege of partnering with these guys. And in particular, the leader of Worldview Weekend, Brandon House. By the way, we'll have Brandon on the air with us at the half-hour mark. You don't want to miss that conversation. And then Sharam Hadian. He's one of the speakers at the conference as well. Sharam will be talking about Islam and the danger it is, not only to the world, but to us here in the United States. John Rood will give us his European Union update. David Dolan and I will talk about how to develop a biblical prophetic worldview that is key and, of course, we've got Ken Timmerman standing by. We'll come to him in a moment. This is an exciting conference here at this resort. It's gathering people from all across the world, in fact. There are some from outside the United States, but it's a time when we can get together once a year here in the Ozarks for us to be able to explain from God's Word the proper worldview. So keep the dial set. That will be our focus on this edition of Prophecy Today. Well, of course, if you're going to have a worldview, you've got to look at the geopolitical activities, understand what they are politically, and then I explain how this prophetically all comes together. The man who looks at these activities is Ken Timmerman. He's in Washington, D.C., on the catbird seat, and Ken... We need to get underway with asking about President Trump, who has started indirect negotiations with the Iranians ahead of his hoped-for meeting with Kim Jong-un in the North Korea. Now, the president of France has been in Washington this last week, and Chancellor Merkel on her way into Washington. Both of these leaders of the world want the United States to stay involved in the Iranian nuclear deal. I mean, are they trying to start too quickly, or are they going to continue? And May the 12th, I believe, is the deadline. What do you think of what's happening? Well, that's right. May the 12th is the deadline, so they're not starting too quickly. Look, here's what's going on. The Iranians are absolutely desperate to keep the deal the way it is. And uh, they are uh, putting out a number of demands and statements, declaratory statements, ahead of time. They say that if the United States pulls out of the nuclear deal, as Trump has repeatedly said that he would, horrible things are going to happen. The sky is going to fall in. Iran will leave the nuclear nonproliferation treaty. They will not feel bound by any of the restrictions of the deal. They will restart their nuclear program, and in fact, it'll be five times faster than it was before. So they're saying all kinds of things that they will do. This is a preemptive negotiating tactic. Trump is doing exactly the same thing. And so he is saying, well, we're not going to let them get away with any of this stuff. And if they think they're going to restart their program, this is what he said, actually, when he was with President Macron at the, at the White House. If they think they're going to restart their program, we've got news for them. We're going to hit them very, very hard. He didn't say militarily, but he meant, you know, basically with renewed sanctions and uh, diplomatic isolation. So what, what's going on here is the French 
and the British and the Germans have been talking with the State Department for months now on a possible fix or series of fixes to the nuclear agreement that would include limits on Iran's uh, ballistic missile programs that would uh, potentially take the sunset clause away out of the nuclear deal, in other words, make it permanent, so Iran would not be free in 10 years' time to develop nuclear weapons, and a couple of other things. And the Iranians are saying, no way, this is not going to happen. Well, Iran is uh, putting out this message at the same time as you were talking about. It's the nuclear deal as it is, all or nothing, no plan B. I mean, they're drawing a line in the sand, are they not? Absolutely. And they've gotten the Russians and the Chinese to, at least in their diplomatic fora, to agree with them. So it's either the deal as it is or nothing at all. And that's what the Iranians are threatening. No changes to the deal. Not possible to alter the deal. There is no fix because there's nothing wrong with it. And Trump is saying, uh, you know, forget about that. It's a terrible deal. Everybody knows it's a terrible deal. And either we're going to fix it or nix it. That's the phrase that's (laughs) being used here in Washington these days. I happen to think they're going to do away with it. I don't think it's possible to fix the deal. I think the Iranians are serious about not agreeing to any changes. They're going to say, why should we agree to changes? You know, this was negotiated. It was signed, sealed, and delivered. And even the United Nations Security Council passed a special resolution to approve it. So there's no reason for us to agree to changes. So I think the deal is going to go away on May 12th, and the Iranians are going to find themselves faced with much tougher sanctions than they've been under for quite a long time. And they could subsequently come to a negotiating table for a new agreement that would, in fact, be much tougher. Well, Ken, let me ask this. Why is Iran escalating their conflict with Israel? Is this a preliminary negotiations ploy as well, or are they just wanting to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, as their leaders have often said? Well, I think it's a bit of both. And there's a third element involved in it as well, which doesn't get talked about quite as much, and that is the domestic unrest the ongoing protests inside Iran. These protests are not going away. There have been hundreds of them now since December, and they are roving. They're going from city to city, from town to town. They're all across the country. The regime doesn't know how to deal with the demands of the protesters because this is not the liberal Tehran urban elites who are demonstrating in the streets. These are actually the supporters of the regime, the so-called Mosul the the dispossessed, the poor, the urban poor, the rural poor, the people who are not benefiting from the revolution as they were promised to benefit. So the regime has its own supporters protesting against it, and I think this has got them very, very worried. So they're hoping to distract attention from domestic protests by exacerbating the situation in Syria and by escalating their threats against the state of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have intentions. We've learned this week, for example, that the Russians actually shot down three armed Iranian drones that the Iranians were trying to launch into Israel. The Russians shot them down before they could cross the border. Russia is trying to tamp down the tension between Israel and Iran, and it's letting the Iranians know that even they have a red line So uh, the Iranians do have a real desire to attack Israel at some point, and probably sooner than later, but they're going to find that there are restrictions on their activities coming from unusual sources, including the Russian president's presence in Syria. 
Well, speaking of that Russian presence in Syria, Russia is ready to deliver those S-300s, the ground-to-air missile defense system that they have promised the Syrians. And Russia then puts out a warning to Israel, do not go after this, do not attack, stay away, stand down. Boy, they're wanting to have it their way, but uh, Israel is not going to allow that, are they? Well, that remains to be seen. The the Russians stationed S-300 and S-400 uh, missile batteries in Syria under Russian control. So they controlled the airspace. Nevertheless, they allowed Israeli aircraft, we're assuming that they allowed, uh, it may be that the S-300 and S-400 did not pick up the Israeli aircraft, which is a whole other uh, story if that's the case. But at any rate, while those uh, S-300 and S-400 systems were operational in Syria, Israel has conducted several airstrikes inside Syrian territory, uh, not just against this air base, but against Hezbollah targets as well. It may be that the Russians decide to deliver them to the Syrian air defense forces. Uh, it's possible and if they do so, they would hope that the Israelis wouldn't attack them. But Israel so far has not targeted those Russian air defense systems in Syria. And I don't see why they would do so in the future if the Syrians are not actually using them to prevent Israel from attacking Iran. Well, this week uh, in Israel, the U.S. general in charge of Central Command had a conversation trying to convince Israel that President Trump was making the right decision to pull the United States out of Syria. Israel is very much concerned about that situation. Do you think he'll follow through, or did Macron give him some additional advice that helped him maybe slow back down on that? Well, certainly Macron was trying to uh, encourage President Trump to remain, to keep U.S. forces in Syria, but this is really goes against the grain for, for Donald Trump. Donald Trump, remember, came to office saying he didn't want to get involved in these Middle Eastern wars. He would do what he needed to do to defend America and to fight against terrorists, but he didn't want to have a continued U.S. military presence in all these different countries. You know, what's interesting about this trip by General Votel, who was the CENTCOM commander, the Central Command commander, it is the first time ever that a CENTCOM commander has gone to Israel. Israel is not in the area of operations of the U.S. Central Command, which goes from Saudi Arabia to Egypt. Uh, it's very interesting. The Central Command does not include Israel. It's the European Command that includes Israel. So this is the first time that a CENTCOM commander has ever spoken with Israeli military officials, which in and of itself is a, I think, is a huge gesture on the part of the Trump administration towards Israel. They're saying, look, we understand that, that you have a very big stake in what goes on here in the region. So we're going to now include you in our deliberations. I think that in and of itself is important and probably more important than what's being reported about that trip that the Israelis were worried about the U.S. pulling out from Syria. Well, we'll stay on top of that story with Ken Temmerman, plus every issue we discussed in our conversation today. Ken Temmerman covers geopolitical activities for us. It's absolutely a necessity that we must understand all that's happening in our world. I'll bring, after the political given by Ken, I'll bring the prophetic to the table just a little bit later on on this broadcast. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. Take a break, and when we come back, we're going to David Dolan. He has a Middle East News update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website site if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios, located right here on the Lake of the Ozarks. We're in a beautiful part of this world here in Missouri. This is where we're doing the broadcast from. And in a few moments, we'll have Brandon House, who heads up Worldview Weekend. We'll be talking with him. Also, Sharam Hadian, one of the other speakers. We're going to have a great time today when we bring some of these people to this broadcast table to help you understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. Now, one of the men that we do that with is David Dolan. And David is going to give us his Middle East news update. David, I've got to start with Iran, what they're doing. They're escalating activities as it pertains to the state of Israel. They've threatened to come in, destroy Israel. They said they have the time set for that to happen. They're getting arms into Hezbollah. They're arming themselves there in Syria. Boy, this is really heating up, and it looks pretty bad, doesn't it? Jimmy, I would say that in the past week, it has become abundantly clear now that Iran is preparing to attack Israel from Syria and Lebanon and use other forces as well, probably Hamas in the Gaza Strip and probably from their own land uh, against Israel. The evidence you just summarized is growing every day, and the Israeli responses are also growing, and, you know, the Israelis don't want to be involved at all in the Syria situation. Uh, Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman held urgent talks in Washington, by the way, this week also. But back in Israel, he gave an interview with the London-based Saudi paper, now the first time an Israeli defense minister, an Israeli cabinet minister at all, 
has ever been interviewed by a Saudi paper. It's based in London, of course, as I said, and it's an online paper. But he made some incredibly strong statements in that. He said, we see what Iran is doing. We see this air corridor that they've stepped up, their delivery of weapons into Syria. We see they're stepping up weaponry deliveries to Hezbollah. We see them moving forces in on the ground. We see them moving towards our Golan border. And he again said, we will not put up with this. We will not allow Iran to attack us from the territory. He listed the other powers that are already fighting up there, the militant Muslims and Russia and Syria. He said, God bless them. May they fight each other until they destroy each other. But we don't want to get involved, but we will not sit back. The Iranians, in response, said that they would attack Tel Aviv. And he said, we will attack Tehran if that happens. So very, very strong words coming. And the Russians got involved. The Russian foreign minister got involved. And he said, you know, that the Iranians have a right to defend themselves against, quote, Israeli aggression. He called the Israeli aggressors for the first time. That's happened in many years. And that was, of course, in response to the mid-April Israeli airstrike on the Syrian T-4 base, where, as I said last week, the Syrians had installed their brand-new latest anti-air defense system. They brought the whole thing in and installed it on that base. And uh, he noted other bases, Lieberman did, where the Syrians have allowed the Iranians to do uh, all sorts of build-ups. And he said, every place where the Iranians are, we will consider legitimate targets, whatever the Russians say, because the Russian foreign minister said, uh-uh, don't come in anymore, we're not going to allow you to keep coming in and striking these targets, we'll consider Israel, basically he was saying, he didn't say these words, but we'll consider Israel a combatant enemy state if it launches any further attacks. Well, of course, Israel isn't attacking Syria or Iran. Israel is trying to prevent what seems to be a looming war from taking place and to take measures now to prevent that. Other stuff going on, Jimmy, there was a mortar shell fired across the Golan border on Monday. The Israelis responded to that. That came as the U.S. Central Commander was in the region discussing the situation, discussing Iran, and uh, that uh, then uh, the Russian air base at uh, Latakia on the Mediterranean coast of Syria was attacked by drones during the week. Now, we don't know who did that. The rumors are that uh, scuttlebutt is that it was some rebel groups. How they all got the drones, we don't know. But it might well have been, uh, as has been hinted at in some of the Arab press, Israel or the United States or both that were involved testing possibly the Russian response and the Russian uh, ability to respond to an actual attack on its airbase. So it's hot and heavy, Jimmy, and the U.S. is leaving an aircraft carrier off the coast that was supposed to be heading back to the States, and uh, Israel is, of course, on full uh, military alert with all this going on, and meanwhile we have these Palestinian protests, we have the Iran nuclear deal, all of it seems to be building up to a crescendo, and it's looking like it's not very far away, possibly. Well, David, I have to remind everybody that the book of Ezekiel, Daniel, and the Psalms itself says that this coalition of nations will come together. Major players we're talking about in the nations that David has mentioned. And this prophetic scenario coming much better into focus than it has ever been. You were talking about the United States general who's in charge of the Central Command. Talk to me about the discussion he had with the Israeli military forces about uh, the 
pullout by the United States in Syria. Boy, Israel is not wanting that to happen, are they? It's not, and uh, General Joseph Votel was here, and he had an earful, definitely. And, Jimmy, it was interesting to note that uh, later on in the week, President Trump, of course, after hosting President Macron of France and focusing on Iran and the Iran nuclear issue, apparently in their talks and certainly in their public comments, uh, interesting that he changed his tone about pulling U.S. forces out, that he basically, this is again President Trump, softened his tone, as I saw on one of the news sites, saying, you know, we do recognize there are major problems in Syria that we we can't just slam that door. We'd love to. I mean, who, who in the United States wouldn't like to pull all forces out of Afghanistan, Iraq, to the entire Middle East tomorrow, bring all the guys and gals home, and say we're done with it? But, you know, uh, we didn't want to go to to Europe uh, in World War II. We thought we could avoid that, and we couldn't. We can't just let Russia, Iran, China, all the other forces that are gathering in the Middle East like vultures. And, by the way, Jimmy, your comment on prophecy, I was thinking this morning, if somebody's listening, and I presume this is the case right now, that they're turning channels in the car and they come upon this discussion of uh, the Middle East and they hear us mention biblical prophecies being fulfilled, they might think that for 50 minutes we're just discussing the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. But as you point out in your your very clever ad, if you listen to ABC, CBS, NBC, you don't necessarily know what's going on in the Middle East. You have to really search to find the deeper news. It's just not reported, and that seems to be the case here. The build-up to war is significant. America will be involved, and this will be probably, if it happens, the biggest war on Earth since World War II. If Russia's involved, certainly it will be, and we know the prophecies. So we're talking about the news. I'm reporting the news, not prophecy, the news. And you're pointing out, and I'm aware of it, that this is pointing us in the direction of the fulfillment of ancient biblical prophecies. So it's both exciting, because, of course, at the end of it, the Lord returns, but it's also very sobering, because the Scriptures say these are going to be some of the most significant battles of all time, ending in, in Armageddon, the most, and that Israel will be severely, uh, you know, under pressure, and the whole world will be involved. So it's something we need to be paying a lot of attention to. Of course, the U.S. officials, military leaders are just going over there playing their, their parts, but America's not going to be able to pull out of Syria before this thing blows up. And the Iranians have clearly made a choice, Jimmy, in my view. And Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel, said this on, I think, Monday of this week, based on comments that the Iranian foreign minister had made on CBS Sunday morning last week, that they have decided on war. Basically, Netanyahu said it's apparent that they have decided that they really are going to try to destroy us. We have said many times we're the nation of the Holocaust and survivors of that and whatever. We're not going to let that happen. So we're, we're seeing the build-up to very significant and, as we could say, a battle of possibly biblical proportions and prophetic significance seems to be looming. Yes, and it does. David may report saying that President Trump is frustrated over the Israeli settlements. Now, most presidents have said that. First time I've heard Trump make that statement. Well, he's hinted at it before, though. And, I mean, I, he's, a, he's a friend of Israel, but we must remember for most of his life he's been a Democrat. And he supported Chuck Schumer and some of these other Democrats who are very much against Israel being continuing to control all of the, quote, occupied territories without some changes at least being made. So 
that's the stand he's traditionally taken. And, of course, he has a vice president, Mike Pence, that's much more uh, long-term pro-Israel and others around him that are feeding him the other side of that story, including presumably his son-in-law, Gerald Kushner. And the ambassador from the United States to Israel as well, feeding that same story, the word of God in essence to our president. We need to continually look at the Middle East. That's the reason David Dolan comes to this broadcast table with his Middle East news update. It's very important that he has this report on a weekly basis. David, we so appreciate your background, your knowledge of what's happening, your insight. Thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy, for those comments, and God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Brandon House, who heads up Worldview Weekend. That's the conference I'm in here in the Ozarks in Missouri. We're going to talk with Brandon why he started a ministry to help develop worldview among the body of Christ. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As we move into our second half hour, we're going to have a couple of men that are with me, or I should say I'm with them in the Ozarks, and we're in a special Worldview Weekend conference. Now, you may not have ever heard of Worldview Weekend. That's why I bring Brandon House to this microphone and the broadcast table for the purpose of explaining what's it all about. You have possibly heard of a world view, and you must have one. That's what I'm going to talk to Brandon about, and then we'll be talking to Sharam Hadian. He's going to do a track on Islam at the conference. I'm here to teach President's Politics and Prophecy, about 10 different speakers. Great meeting going on here in the Ozarks. And, Brandon, thank you so very much for allowing me to participate in this conference, my good friend. Well, absolutely. Thank you for being here. It's a joy to be able to be with you. Now, your ministry is called Worldview Weekend. That's a strange title for a ministry. How did you come up with that title for what you're doing today? Well, we wanted to study biblical worldview, and we were doing it all in a weekend. That's how we started out as a conference uh, ministry in February of 1993, so 25 years ago this year. And we would bring together various speakers to speak on biblical worldview and apply it to law, science, economics, history, family, sociology, theology, eschatology, and understand the times through the lens of a biblical worldview. And we're doing it on a weekend, usually a Friday night, all day Saturday. 
And so we decided to call it Worldview Weekend. You know, I can remember traveling in North Dakota years and years ago. And Judy and I, I think, were on our way up into Canada. And I was just going across the radio band listening to programs. All of a sudden, I heard this live broadcast coming from somewhere. It was in North Dakota. And they said, Brandon House and Worldview Weekend. Well, I listened for a little bit, and I said, man, that guy's right on. Praise God for what they're doing. Never to realize I'd be a, a part, a little part, but a part of what you're doing. I'm so thrilled and honored to be with you. By the way, uh, you did that reaching out to the churches. Does the church today really have a biblical worldview, Brandon? No. All the studies show that just like maybe 2 or 3% of actual real Christians have a comprehensive biblical worldview. Do they apply a correct biblical worldview to the area of, of economics, to the issue of science or origins? No, they don't. They buy. Many of them are buying into socialism now. Increasingly, they buy into theistic evolution or just flat-out evolution or theistic evolution that believe that God used evolution. So, no, they don't have a biblical worldview. They have bits and pieces, but they don't have a comprehensive biblical worldview. About 4% of Christian adults actually could pass a biblical worldview test. That is alarming, is it not? Well, it is because, again, what it means then the church is ripe for being taken over and that's what happened in Nazi Germany, you know. They didn't have a true biblical worldview, and so Hitler was able to go in and take over the churches in Germany, and they dissolved their denominations, united under the Reich bishop handpicked by Adolf Hitler. They couldn't see through his anti-Semitism. They couldn't see through his uh, occultism. They couldn't see through his socialism, because that's what the Nazis were, the National Socialist Workers' Party. And I fear that's for America. Many people today think Jesus was a social justice warrior. We need to embrace aspects of socialism. We don't have a place for Israel anymore. We've got bad theology. We're into replacement theology. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mess, and it's because people don't have a consistent biblical world view. Well, it's not being taught in the local churches. You, for a time, were traveling quite a bit across this country holding these weekend conferences. You're in a great conference right now. We're having a marvelous time with the 10 outstanding speakers you have here, the people gathered with notebooks in hand, Bibles in hand, and listening and gathering information they need to have to develop their biblical worldview. But in addition to that, you're using radio, television, books, social media to make the body of Christ aware of what's going on, are you not? We are, and one reason why is because churches, about 10 years ago, churches got where they wouldn't even let us rent their buildings. Churches used to sponsor us. They used to buy 300 tickets up front and actually invite us to their church, buy 300 tickets up front, and we'd go into the area, promote it, and have a huge turnout. Then we, after the crash of 2008, we made our conferences free and went to one night free, and then we would be in a city Friday night, a city Saturday night, a city Sunday night, well, then many of the churches got about 10 years ago where they were afraid of what we were talking about. They didn't want to talk about Israel. They didn't want to talk about Bible prophecy. They didn't want to talk about the danger of replacement theology. They didn't want to talk about the things that all these liberal guys are up to today in mainstream evangelicalism. It was too controversial or too negative for them. They didn't want to let us rent their building. And so then we went to hotel ballrooms, and now we're finding the hotel ballrooms, the hotels are scared because they're getting threats from Antifa, communist groups, Muslim groups. Now the hotels are afraid to rent to us because the communist and Marxist and Islamic groups are threatening the hotels, as we saw recently. But we kind of saw this coming, and so we transitioned to radio. I got my start in radio through Michael Reagan, Ronald Reagan's oldest son, guest hosting his show. He taught me radio along with Vic Eliason, a network we work with now, VCY. I transitioned to radio and television, 
and we built our own radio, digital radio and television network and started adding guys like you and producing multiple radio shows, multiple TV shows. And so we've re-transitioned from a conference ministry to a broadcast ministry, and we started our broadcast division, WVW Broadcast Network, because we kind of saw that, well, if we can't get into some of the churches, and we can't even rent hotel ballrooms because we saw that was coming, then we'll build a digital platform. We're thankful for the terrestrial radio stations we're on, no doubt about it. But we also know the digital platform is where the young people are. So, yeah, we started out as a conference ministry, and now we're really a broadcast ministry, and now we're reaching people all over the world, about a quarter of a million people on our email alert list. And uh, we have people from national intelligence uh, agencies listening to us who love what we do, and we know them, uh, gotten to know them through our ministry, to uh, elected officials, to pastors who still get it and are sound biblical teachers. We're thankful for the technology that allows us to reach so many people when other doors close. Now, your website, of course, would uh, make available through live streaming some of your conferences, some of your Sunday night special programs, in addition to all that you have in your radio and television network. How about giving us those eavesdropping on the conversation, the address of your website, so they could get a hold of some of this material? Well, if they go to worldviewtimes.com, worldviewtimes, or worldviewradio.com, you know, they'll see all our different divisions. If they go to worldviewradio.com, then they can find out about our different divisions and what we do, our Sunday night live streaming event. This past Sunday night, we had, uh, we're over 3,000 people. Um, I mean, think about walking to a church service on Sunday night and having 3,000 at a church service. That's a big church service, right, on a Sunday night in America today? Well, we, yes. were, we were well into that number on Sunday night with our live streaming, and we do that routinely on Sunday nights, and that's free for people to watch. And then all of our other shows, or if they're not, when they're live, they can listen. But when they're, uh, then like your show, my show is all put up later as a podcast. All that's available for them to listen to at worldviewradio.com. And of course, we produce your TV show, uh, Prophecy Today TV, which they'll find the link to our TV show. When they hit worldviewradio.com, they'll find the link to the TV division. Talk to me, and let's just take a moment to exhort the body of Christ. They've been listening to our interview, but why a biblical worldview is so important today? Well, if you don't understand uh, biblical worldviews, and there are six major worldviews ruling the world, biblical Christianity, secular humanism, which is in great decline, cosmic humanism or new age, that's really the Oprah Winfrey worldview of cosmic humanism is the really becoming dominant worldview, along with postmodernism, Islam, and Marxism. Those are your six dominant worldviews. There are more than six, but those are your six dominant ones. If you don't understand what those worldviews uh, believe about economics, law, family, social issues, theologically, end-time events, you won't understand what's happening. If you don't understand the worldview of Marxism, you won't understand why Marxism is back. The Berlin Wall collapsed, but Marxism is sweeping the world and even coming into mainstream evangelicalism. That might be shocking, but it is. If you don't understand Islam, you won't understand the war that's happening on a global scale and their desire to build a caliphate and what their end-time beliefs are. You won't understand how it is the Marxists and the Muslims are now actually working together to defeat their shared enemy of American Israel. So if you don't understand the worldviews, you don't understand the world. You don't understand what's happening. You see it in bits and pieces, but you have no idea why it's happening, how it's happening, and where it's going. And yet Jesus said to the leaders of his day, the, re- the religious leaders of his day, as he golded them, you understand the weather, you can discern the weather, but you cannot understand the times. And don't we see a special blessing for those who understand, seek to understand Bible prophecy, whether it was Daniel or if it's the blessing that comes from understanding the book of Revelation. We're called to understand the times and know how God would have us respond. But you're not going to do that if you don't understand the worldviews, the philosophies that are not according to Christ, but according to men that are ruling the day. 
Great word from Brandon House. He's the founder and the leader of a weekend worldview that is the title of his ministry. You need to go to their website quickly, the website address one more time. Worldviewradio.com. Worldviewradio.com. Sorry you had to miss the conference, dear friends, but go to that website that Brandon has, and you'll find out about any other conferences going on, how you can plug in through radio and television to Worldview Weekend Ministry. Brandon, having a great time in the conference. Thanks for inviting me, and we'll talk again down the line, of course, right here at the conference, but on the radio as well. Thank you for having me, Jimmy. Brandon House with a great ministry, reaching out to the body of Christ, endeavoring to help each and every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to have a proper worldview, a biblical worldview. Great ministry. And, of course, we're here in the Ozarks. We're having a great conference, and it's just a blessed time with about 10 different speakers here speaking on subjects, different subjects, to help develop all of those who are in attendance to help develop their minds into the proper biblical prophetic, and I would have to add that prophetic worldview as well. One of those other speakers, Sharam Hadian, a good friend, and I wanted to bring Sharam to the broadcast table so we could discuss what he is going to be speaking on. He's going to be speaking to the adults, and they have a special a teen session that's going to take place, and Sharam has been selected to speak to them. You know, Sharam, that's a compliment. If you can communicate to a bunch of teenagers and keep their attention, you are a excellent communicator. I'm thrilled at you, and an old man like me is not having to face them. But I know you're going to be focusing on Islam. Actually, you have a background having been born there in Iran. Is that correct? That's correct, Dr. Dion. Yeah, I was born in Iran in 1971 and then left there with my family just before the revolution happened in 1979. was born into a Muslim family, and then in 1999, uh, almost uh, almost 20 years ago, um, became a Christian, left Islam and, and converted to Christianity. And then, of course, the Lord uh, called me into the ministry uh, shortly thereafter, and I became a pastor and then pastoring now for uh, 16 plus years and traveling and speaking and just by God's grace. Again, as we've talked about many times in the program, I witnessed my birth country uh, fall to Islam. As you know, Iran was not Islamically governed until Khomeini came in, and today it, it is, of course, uh, controlled under an Islamic republic. So that's, that's the backstory. That's why I speak and try to bring a warning to the body of Christ about uh, what the ideology teachings of Islam is. You know, I'm glad that you're a pastor as well as a itinerant speaker because of the fact that God's plan for reaching the world is the church, but then out of that church, those who are in leadership there can go to other locations around the world to actually teach other churches the body of Christ, the threat of Islam, and the threat that it is to Christians and the world. Now, am I correct? Many Christians today don't recognize the threat of Islam, but it is a threat to Christians and the rest of the world, is it not? Absolutely. And the, not just the, the threat that it is physically, as far as um, looking at our national security, the threat of terrorism and jihadist attacks, of course, which we know are increasing in the world, uh, but it is 
more importantly, a spiritual threat to the church, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the dangers of interfaith dialogue that we see growing now between Christians and Muslims and allowing uh, Islamic leaders and, and specifically even members of the Muslim Brotherhood into the Christian church. So this is uh, near and dear, obviously, to my own story, uh, Dr. Diaz, because, again, the Lord rescued me out of Islam. The, the, the true God, the God of the Bible, showed me that Islam is not the truth, it is a lie, and that only Christianity and the Bible is the truth. And so that's why I am so grateful for the opportunity to travel and to bring not just a warning and a correction, but then the equipping for the body of Christ uh, to fulfill our calling and, the, and fulfill the Great Commission. Sharam, I have been in many, many churches very seldom do I speak on Islam. I'm not an expert like you are, but once in a while I do. And people look at me like I'm a strange character from another planet or something. They think the fact that Islam is very active in the Middle East and in other parts of the world, no danger here in America, no danger for the body of Christ in the United States. But that's not correct. And let me ask you, how big a threat is Islam to the Christians and to the world itself? Well, first of all, if you look at the worldwide aspect of Christianity, Islam is the single greatest persecutor of Christians today. When you look at the nations, the Islamic nations, they are on the top of the list of the top 15 nations uh, that are persecuting and killing Christians today. Fourteen of those nations are Islamic. The only one that is not is North Korea. So, that's just fact that, that the, the greatest persecutor of Christians today is Islam. And then when you look at in America, the fact that uh, we see, just like in Europe, the Islamization of our nation, our schools, the media, the government, and Muslims in America now, uh, particularly the Islamic movement, the Muslim Brotherhood, is going very hyper-political. We have this year in 2018 over 90 Muslims that are running for office across America at all levels of government, openly as Muslims. Of course, 98% of them are running as, as Democrats, as one party. It is a great concern because we have to understand that the teachings of Islam, and we're not talking about, again, an individual Muslim, but the teachings of Islam is that not only it must it be supreme and ultimately be, uh, establish a caliphate, meaning an Islamic world order, but that it is also the final religion. And that's where it becomes a threat to the church, because we have to recognize that we've been given the Great Commission to take the gospel into the nations, to, to make disciples of all the nations. Well, Islam teaches that it is the final religion. So how can these two be common, and how can we have so many Christian leaders sitting at the table with Muslim leaders, Muslim scholars, and saying, look how much we have in common between the two faiths, versus looking at what the Lord showed me, all the differences, the contrasting. Only one can be true, and it is, uh, it is the Bible. It is Jesus Christ who is the true God. Well, when you look, Sharam, across the world and here in the United States as well, how far advanced is the Islamic world in setting up this caliphate? Are they close, or they still have a ways to go? Well, across the world, of course, in the Middle East, what we've seen, and you and I have talked about this before, that in the last number of years, 
Uh, we've seen Islamic revolutions. We've seen a an, an, an movement towards a more Islamized Middle East. And, of course, I would agree it started with Iran in 1979. You see Turkey going more Islamic, Egypt, Pakistan, uh, Saudi, nations like Tunisia, Morocco, uh, Libya, uh, the, the Yemen. They're, they're trying to move the Middle East more Islamic. Then, of course, you look to Europe. And look to Canada. So we see that there is a definitely a movement towards Islamization. Uh, so I would say they still have a ways to go in, in, in the aspect of actually establishing an Islamic caliphate again. But there's no doubt that that's what they're working towards, and there's no doubt that they're getting cooperation from Western leaders. And now, and this is what I'm going to be pointing out in my talk at the Ozarks, they're now getting cooperation from evangelical leaders. And that's what's so concerning, like when we addressed the issue of James White last year. So that's what's very, very concerning. And I think that in the United States, first of all, in Europe, we already know that the Islamic movement has declared the upper house. They've declared Europe now to be the, the Dar al-Islam or the house of Islam. So they're already moving. They think they've already won Europe. It's just a matter of time before Europe falls. But the question is here in the U.S., and I, 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 I have put out publicly that I believe they are very close to getting to that upper house because of the cooperation, particularly from our government, and particularly what happened over the last eight years under the Obama administration. Sharam, let me ask a very practical question to conclude our conversation. What should we as Christians be doing to combat the spread of Islam and their desires to set up a caliphate? Well, the greatest thing we could do is to pray that God would give us, first of all, correction in the church, because this has got to be corrected. We need to educate the body of Christ on what Islam is, uh, ideologically, spiritually, and so forth and so on. And then number two, we have to pray for great boldness, because the What's the greatest weapon we have? The greatest weapon we have is the gospel. The gospel is what changed my heart, changed my life, changed my path, changed my eternity. And we have to pray for greater boldness because it's not an, it's not an if Muslims are going to be coming into our nation. It's when and how many more Muslims are going to be coming into our nation. We know their birth rate is much higher. So the church has got to be bolder in praying that God will allow us to fulfill the Great Commission. And, Dr. Young, as you know, part of the problem is we have the social gospel today that they're not preaching the real gospel. They're not sharing the true gospel. It's all about love and emotions and works, and, and it's a social justice, social, really socialism kind of gospel. So uh, that's in my prayer of the Lord is, Father, bring a great boldness upon your church that in these last days, as we're awaiting the return of the Lord, we would be great witnesses, bold witnesses for Christ. Uh, and, of course, we know the good news. We know that, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is returning as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not returning as an Islamic prophet, as Islam teaches. So we know that's the good news. But in the meantime, we're supposed to occupy until he returns. We're supposed to fulfill the Great Commission. So uh, pr uh, church, pray. Uh, ask the Lord for boldness, and let us also, Dr. DeYoung, not compromise the Word of God, because it is the power of God revealed. Uh, so that's my prayer for the church, practically speaking. Other than short of that, yes, there are some governmental things, there are some practical things, but really, that's the ultimate solution. 
absolutely a great exhortation from Shamram Hadian as to what Christians the church should be doing these days in an effort to combat the spread of Islam, its power. We understand its program in the prophetic scenario laid out in God's Word, but we still keep doing what the Lord has called us to do, win people to Jesus Christ. Sharama, joy to be able to speak at the same conference with you, having some great fellowship. Look forward to more of it as we continue the conference, my good friend. Thank you so very much. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Dr. Dion. Lord bless you. I look forward to seeing you. Well, let's go to that region of the world, key to understanding how the revived Roman Empire is going to come in place. I believe the infrastructure to be that which we see politically in the European Union, the European Union, that foundation for the revived Roman Empire. John Rood is the man who deals with issues as it relates to that region. And John, you know, this next week there's going to be conversation about the Iranian nuclear deal. It looks like right now the United Nations, Russia, European Union, Germany, and France, they all are saying that they're going to support this nuclear deal. I'm not sure President Trump is going to go along with it. But why do you think the European Union especially is so interested in making certain they have this relationship with Iran with this nuclear deal? The European Union has taken a stand uh, throughout their history. Really, their message is one of economic benefit. They've actually grown to 28 nations by the fact of extending this economic carrot in front of the uh, possible nations to join. And usually the nations join rather than being left out. So the basis is really economics, which then turns into various degrees of control through the old common market, through military, political, etc. So it's essentially the same basis that they're using with Iran. The motive of the deal is basically economic. And they might even see some benefit from having a continued disturbances in the Middle East. This is really how they operate. And sometimes we wonder why would the United States position be so difficult for Europe to conceive. But really, it's two different systems. The European Union is a result of a top-down system. And throughout the last few hundred years, the aristocracy, the religion... And then it's down to the people. The United States is built from the bottom up from the people that form townships and states and then a federal government. So basically they're taking a sort of status quo stand and they're interested to not be too involved but keep the economic standing. Well, it looks like uh, Germany is on its way. Angela Merkel coming to the United States this last week. President Macron of France has been at a state visit on all the festivities surrounding that here in the United States with President Donald Trump. Uh, It looks like to me they're starting to negotiate because both the French president and I understand Chancellor Merkel, they want the United States to say in the Iranian deal, I guess it's economic there as well, and according to what Macron said, they do not want to have a nuclear-powered Iran, do they? I think uh, as well, it's uh, primarily economic uh, benefits, which is their interest. And then it's sort of this laissez-faire approach. 
not to get too involved. The United States has been the one that's had to intervene in the situations in the Middle East, although Europe is geographically much closer. This week in Washington with the state visits, it's actually functioning as an indirect negotiation. So they have worked behind closed doors, and we're really not aware to the extent that these things are, are done privately. Actually, the Iran deal and the question of the May 12th deadline, this has been working on daily since January uh, when the Secretary of State went to Iran. It's a very, very one-sided approach. The president has built his reputation on negotiation, and he's taking a very strong approach that, frankly, these countries are not really used to. The basic line from Germany and France is basically we want to keep things as they are because it's deal that's flawed, but it's better to have a flawed deal than no deal. Absolutely. Bottom line is what the interests of these member states in the European Union and the United States are all after. Well, we're going to stay on top of this story. It's going to get hotter and hotter because Iran does want that nuclear weapon of the mass destruction. We'll do that with John Rood. He's the man who covers the European Union and the surrounding nations that they become involved with as well. John, great report. Thank you, my good buddy. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure. We're going to take a break, and when we come back from here in the Ozarks, we'll continue Prophecy Today. We have one more conversation we're going to have with David James, and David and I are going to talk about how to get a worldview. You don't want to miss it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into our last half hour. This has been a special edition of Prophecy Today. We've been here in the Ozarks, on the Lake of the Ozarks at a resort, where we have been involved in the Worldview Weekend Conference led by Brandon House. We had Brandon on the air earlier with us, and Sharam Hadian, one of the other speakers at the conference, had a great time thus far. We're going to be continuing here till tomorrow noon. I'll be actually closing out the conference with my message to all the delegates from around the world. And in fact, we do have some from around the world and across the United States. It's been a marvelous time. Sorry you missed it. We tried to give you a flavor of it. You can go to Brandon's website, worldviewweekend.com, and there you can get information about how you can get some of the videos that they produced at the conference. Hey, I would like for you, just before we get to David James, who is going to help us understand how we can come to a biblical, prophetic worldview by using God's Word, some practical advice for us. We'll do that in a moment. But remember, I want you to check out my website, prophecytoday.com. I want you to take the poll question. It's on the left-hand column of the home page. If you go down that column, you'll see poll question. Here it is. Since God's Word lays out God's plan for the future, do you believe that we should study God's Word to receive a world view based on our understanding of God's prophetic plan for the future? 
Now, that's the poll question. Please answer it. Let us know what your thinking is. And while you're there, check out the portion of our website that deals with our travels to the Middle East into the lands of the Bible. It's Joshua Travel. Look it up. You'll see the schedule. And we would love to have you come join us in one of the many tours that we do each year to the land of the Bible. It's a great opportunity. You see Israel past, touch Israel present, visualize Israel future. Be the trip of a lifetime for you. That's at my website, joshuatravelprophecytoday.com. We're now bringing to these microphones David James, and we have a weekly conversation. You found us on the dial here at Prophecy Today Weekend. So glad you could eavesdrop on this conversation. Earlier in this program, I was speaking with Brandon House about the Worldview Weekend Conference here in the Ozarks, and I thought it would be helpful to dig a little bit deeper into the process of developing a biblical worldview. David, I know you deal, of course, with this issue of developing a biblical worldview, either directly or indirectly, in most of the courses that you teach around the world. What is the working definition of a worldview that you use? Well, I've had several different iterations that I've used over the years, and when I was with you in Chattanooga back in December and taught the course Prophetic Apologetics, I kind of refined it a little bit, so this is more of a a formal definition, but I think it will help our listeners understand what we're talking about. So this is the formal definition that I came up with for that course. A worldview is a set of beliefs and values that reflects and informs what we believe to be true, and how we understand what we perceive to be reality, and thus provides a philosophical framework that guides and shapes the way we think and live. The basic idea is this. It's what we, again, what we believe to be true, and the decisions that we make in life are based upon what we perceive to be reality, what we perceive to be true, what we believe about God, what we believe about the world, and it's it's the philosophical basis that guides us through life, actually. What are some of the examples, David, of the different types? You mentioned there are a number of different types of worldviews. What are these that the people might be able to understand better? Well, usually when you think about a worldview, there are two components, and that is philosophical components and theological components. And so generally, as different people have tried to define and address the issue of worldviews, they tend to center around religious ideas. So, for example, a Hinduism as a religion actually is also a worldview. So it informs what you believe about God, what you believe about the universe, for example, that there is just one ultimate reality that you go through incarnation and reincarnation, and those things shape what you believe about the world, about life, what you believe about other people. Buddhism would be another one where there is no really formal idea about God, but there are ideas concerning what constitutes reality. If you think about even tribal religions, those who are part of a tribal religion in remote areas of the world, again, they have their own ideas ideas about what constitutes reality, whether they talk about malevolent gods or gods of, you know, the rocks, the rivers, the mountains, those shape how they interact and how they go through life. 
and so these are various ones. Even atheism would be constitute a worldview, and humanism would be a part of atheism, believing that man is the ultimate authority, man has the final say, there is no such thing as the supernatural. So things all play together, and it's the sum total of what we believe about these various aspects of life and reality that actually shape how we go through life. Well, having said that now, then, what do you think are some of the essential components of a biblical worldview? Well, as I have done research on this over the years and even recently in preparation for our program today, there are several things that we could probably uh, agree on that most Christians should be able to agree on at least. One would be that God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and he is still active in that uh, universe today in the creation. He is active in people's lives. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God in the flesh, and that he lived a sinless life that not only is the supernatural real, but it would extend to very specific things like the existence of heaven and hell, which would mean that Satan is real as well as other angels, both holy and fallen angels, are real. Salvation is a gift from God and it's not something that could be earned. Another would be that a Christian has responsibility to share uh, their faith in Christ with others. One of the most important things that kind of serves as a basis for all this is that the Bible is actually accurate. It's inspired. It's trustworthy in, in everything uh, that it teaches. And flowing from that as well is that there is such a thing as absolute truth and that there are moral and ethical truths and there are absolutes and God is the one who defines those and those are found in the Word of God. So those would be some basic characteristics of what would constitute a biblical worldview, I think. Well, David, do you think that most Christians today actually have a biblical worldview? Well, that's an interesting question, and again, in doing research for our discussion today, I found that the George Barna Research Group actually deals with this issue about every four or five years, about every five years on average, I think. And he actually uses those those issues that I just mentioned and those questions that I discussed in his survey to try to you know, take a te- take the temperature of uh, American culture in general, and what he has found over the last twenty some years or so that uh, the numbers really haven't changed much. And with that, he has found that actually less than ten percent of all American adults have a biblical worldview based upon that criteria. In fact, in one study that he did. He noted that those who are in the 18 to 23-year-old age range, actually less than one-half of one percent actually hold a biblical worldview. So that's that's in general, the American population in general. But even if you go to those who consider themselves born-again believers, for example, his most recent study showed that less than half of those who would identify as born-again adults, less than half of those would consider that moral truth is absolute and unaffected by circumstances. He also notes a number of other things. For example, of among those who would claim to be born-again Christians, less than half, around 40%, would believe that Satan is actually a real person. 
And so what we find is that across the spectrum, not only among the American population as a whole, but among even those who would identify as born-again believers, actually a very small a relatively small percentage hold to a biblical worldview, and that has some serious implications for our culture. Well, that's an alarming report about uh, the body of Christ, would you not say, David? Well, it definitely is, because, you know, when we think about a worldview, and it, 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 it involves the choice of schools where we get our education, it involves the way we vote, our political perspective, which shapes the whole direction of our country, it affects the way that uh, we raise our children, it affects the way we relate to our, our families, our spouses, our, our friends, it affects the way we are involved in our community, and it also affects even our involvement in our churches, as well as, uh, you know, important aspects of church life, which is, one, fellowship with other believers, but also evangelism, uh, discipleship, and missions around the world. And then, as you and I frequently talk about, it completely affects our understanding even of the end times and is our role in relationship to Israel, our thinking about the return of Christ, America's involvement in the world, and how everything is going to play out in the future. So it's, it's really, it is distressing. Yes, it certainly is. David, what would you say is the single most important necessary step in arriving at a biblical worldview? Well, I, you know, it's not all that complicated. I think it actually comes back to one of the things that you and I so frequently emphasize, and that is to have a biblical method of interpretation, that we use a, what we would call a literal grammatical historical hermeneutic. And what we mean by that is, w- with literal, we mean that the Bible is objective truth. Uh, sometimes I prefer to use the word normal. We just read the Bible normally and accept uh, as what God has given us, that we understand every verse and every passage in context, both in the biblical context, but also the historical context. And that allows us to understand the Word of God, because God has revealed everything that we need to know to get from one end of our life to the other, from birth to death, in a way that is pleasing to Him, and most importantly, to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which involves both forgiven sin and eternal life. Well, that said, how would you lay out the overall process of developing a biblical worldview once someone is committed to a biblical method of interpretation? Well, I think we could say that most Christians probably do read the Bible, at least on occasion, but hopefully more than that. But I think it goes beyond that, and it goes to studying the Bible using those principles that we're, we're talking about with a biblical method of interpretation, not just to read the Bible, but to actually take time to, to study it. I also think that we all need to be a part of a good Bible-teaching, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church that is involved in discipleship-making, that is involved in evangelism and missions. I also think that we become like the people that we spend the most time with. So if you want to become a theologian, you spend your time with theologians. If you want to be a good Bible teacher, you spend time with other Bible teachers. And if you want to be a good student of the Bible, you want to spend your time and have the majority of your friends, not necessarily everyone, but the majority of your friends, those people who are committed to those same principles that you are. And what we do is we learn from one another. Iron sharpens iron. So as we spend time in the Word of God and spend time with other believers who are committed to the Word of God, and we sit under the teaching of the Word, 
Word of God, that will inevitably shape our thinking and our worldview, and it will put us in a position to be conformed to the image of Christ and live a life that is pleasing to Him, and that will be affected, like we said, in our families, in our job, our career choices, the schools we go to, the church that we choose to be a member of, and our involvement in the work of God around the world. David, this was a great, great conversation and so practical for the body. Everyone needs to have a biblical worldview. I would only add, put in there a prophetic biblical worldview, uh, because, and you did mention our study of Bible prophecy and key to understanding through our worldview why things are prophetically happening in this world. Great, great conversation. So practical for the body. Thank you so much, David. Uh, We'll have another conversation next week. Well, thanks, Jimmy. It's always great to be with you, and I look forward to next week as well. Great conversation with David James about God's Word and how it reveals the plan for the Jewish people, even why he gave them the name Israel. We're going to take a break right now, and when I come back, I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On our broadcast today, our focus has been on a biblical worldview. I am broadcasting at my temporary studios here in the Ozarks, the Lake of the Ozarks, a resort hotel where Brandon House has brought many people here to this location to study with 10 speakers how to develop the proper biblical worldview. 
Brandon was with us on the broadcast, explained how he came to his ministry. You know, this is a very important subject. Every single person must have a biblical worldview or you're going to be hindered from understanding what is going on in our world. And when our broadcast partners bring us better understanding by covering the current events around this world, then we use the Bible to look at these events in light of Bible prophecy, and you can understand better the times in which we're living. We need to apply this biblical worldview to the end times, because as you do, you'll see we're living in that time in history. By the way, if you missed any of our broadcast partners, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You'll be able to listen to all the reports from my broadcast partners. They can get that same information as well. Well, let's take a moment now to make this practical as we think through some thoughts related to a biblical worldview. In order to have a biblical worldview, you must go to the Bible and study the prophetic passages as well in God's Word. You do not go to the secular media, any of them, especially the news reporting operations, even Fox News. You need to understand the proper biblical worldview comes from the Word of God, not from the secular media. But when you are looking at current events, you want to make sure you have a good source for that political information. Then a worldview comes from the Word of God. You must do a thorough study of God's Word, and I would say all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Actually, Bible prophecy does start in the book of Genesis, in particular the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. Then you start to go into the prophetic passages once you have the base. The book of Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says there is no prophecy of private interpretation. In other words, the Word of God will not contradict the Word of God as you use inductive Bible study, which means to use the Bible to study the Bible, you'll come much better into preparation for understanding how to come to a biblical worldview. The Bible tells us also in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, Peter said, Look, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw it all. But then he says, But now I have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, what is going to happen in the future, and that's what I use to develop my biblical worldview. Here's how you would demonstrate the fact that you have a biblical worldview. You study Bible prophecy with the details there, and as you do that, you can apply it to the political. Prophecy always follows the political, political setting the stage. Let me quickly go through our broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman, he talked about Russia, Iran, and Syria. In order to understand what these three nations have in common, what they're going to be doing in the end times, you need to study the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel, chapter 11. 
David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. He talked about Iran being ready to attack the state of Israel. Well, that is foretold in the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 38 also in verse 5 mentions Persia. That's modern-day Iran. Brannon gave us an understanding of how he is using the media and conferences like we're at here at the Lake of the Ozarks to train people to have the proper worldview. And then Sharam Hadian made that practical by talking about another worldview other than a biblical worldview, the worldview of Islam. It is one of the worldviews, and it is distorted, but you can only recognize that when you study the Word of God. A very key location to understand the end times would be the European Union, which is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Go to Daniel chapter 9, chapter 11. You'll be able to understand how the revived Roman Empire does come into existence. You might want to refresh your thinking as to how to apply everything I'm telling you right now by listening to the conversation I had with David James. He gave us a basic approach to having a biblical worldview. But then what is going to take place after that? Well, the practical application of the Word of God as you study the Bible will become alive in your being, and as you look through your eyes at all these current events going on, you'll have that grid inside of a biblical understanding of all that will happen, and in particular, the future. So you have to study the Bible. You have to study it in light of the fact you want to understand what it says, not only about yesterday, today, but forever as well. As you study God's Word, you make application of His Word in your lifestyle, in your goals for life, and every other direction that you need to have, which only comes from the Word of God. You'll discover in your study of the prophetic Word of God how the end times are so quickly coming together. That helps you to understand why current events are going the way they are. And once you do have that proper biblical prophetic world view, you'll be able to make sure that you are prepared for the future because of the fact you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in light of that knowledge, then you live a pure life. He that has this hope within him purifieth himself, First John chapter 3. And finally, you'll be productive. You'll want to tell others how they can not only come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, how to live a pure life, but how to recognize current events in light of Bible prophecy, a proper worldview that helps you to rest assured that God is still in charge in these days. By the way, you know the next event is the rapture? Yes, indeed. Jesus will shout to call us to be with him. And that rapture actually could happen at any moment. Having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.